thing that comes to mind when I say, you are a great person. I like having you around. Or you know what, you're making terrific progress at school or you're doing such a great job at, at, at work. What if someone says, you are the best wife a man could have or the best husband a woman could have? What if I called you smart and intelligent, wise, a hard worker? You're a success. You are, you are a unifier. Or you build people up. You encourage people. What then comes to mind when I mention the words illness, death, poverty, not safe, violence? What if someone called you incompetent, lazy, good for nothing, stupid, dumb, or ignorant? You see, these words, they elicit uh, some feeling inside of us, whether it is positive or whether it's negative, like the first or the second example. Face it, no matter how you shape it, no matter how you try to frame it, words have meanings. We keep hearing news about people taking their lives or wanting to end their lives all because they were verbally abused or, 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 or someone bullied them with words. In fact, even adults, if you didn't know this, some adults are bullied on their jobs. Not just, uh, not just students, not just your kids, but some adults are bullied on their jobs by supervisors who repeatedly demean them, trying to get, uh, according to their methods, uh, better work out of their employees. Words have a real and lasting impact on all of us. Words are part of character, and character is a part of who we are. So James, he begins our text today by telling us that many of us should not be teachers, right? Wait a minute, he just finished talk, talking about talking about people. Now, James is saying that many of us should not be teachers, but that's okay. You'll track along with me. Turn with me to James chapter 3, verse 1. We'll begin there. James chapter 3, verse 1. People who lead others will be held to a higher standard. So James says here, verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers or sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So, in other words, uh, don't many of you try to call yourself a teacher? Because if you do, James says that you have a greater level of judgment uh, that's going to be placed against you due to your teaching. Why? Because teachers should have, at least, 
greater accountability than the average person. Amen? Can you say amen to that? At first glance, uh, James says, well, who can be a teacher, right? Uh, it seems to, uh, to contradict the fact that Jesus says, we're in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, right? He says there in the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to observe uh, all that I have commanded you. Right? So Jesus is commissioning his disciples who uh, you are hopefully a disciple of Christ. And if you are not, I pray that you would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ today. But uh, he is commissioning his disciples, you and me, right, to make disciples of all nations. And also he's telling us that we need to teach them to observe everything that he's commanded. So if Jesus, on the one hand, is telling us that we should be in the process of teaching others, and, and James says, well, hold on, wait a minute. You know, many of you should not be teachers. Well, which is it? Should we all teach what Jesus said, or should we not all be teachers? The fact remains that all of us, every one of us, all of us, should be teaching to one degree or another, especially about what Jesus says. But this idea of our faith and teaching didn't begin with the words of Jesus. It actually began in the Old Testament. Uh, parents in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, parents were to teach their children about the things of the Lord. It says here, Moses said, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart concerning what God is telling the children of Israel. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So the word of God, you should be teaching this to everyone. And this is what James is talking about. He's not talking about anything. James is also talking about God's word. So being a teacher is not uh, only even relegated to parents. But being a teacher concerning the things of God is, is, is really, uh, should be in the preview of everyone, whether you are old or whether you are young, whether you are in third grade and know Christ or whether you've just retired. You should be in the business of, about teaching others about Christ. No one is exempt no believer, that is, from teaching others to walk in the ways of the Lord. So teaching God's word is not just relegated to me. Can you say amen? Yeah. Right? It's not relegated only to the preacher or the seminarian or the person who attended Bible college, uh, but to people just like you, to the person who's seated, seated right next to you, that you should also be a teacher. So if this is the case, then why does James set forth a warning to people about becoming teachers? If this is true and we believe the word of God and we believe especially what Jesus says, right? But understand that this section of scripture 
With James, it is replete, it is full of hyperbole, exaggerations, in order to make a certain point. So his point is simply this. Go ahead, please, become a teacher. But just understand, when you do teach, that you have a huge responsibility. Amen? Because who want, well, one of the things I remember praying years ago uh, uh, when God called me to the ministry, I, I said, Lord, I was trying to negotiate with God. I said, God, look, you know, I don't want to do this thing because I don't want to be a, a false teacher. I don't want to be a false preacher. I want to at least kind of know what I'm talking about, right? Because I've had my feel of that all over the place. So I don't want to be added uh, to the cadre of false teachers. That's what I call myself doing, negotiating with God. And he told me, okay, if that's the case, then we're going to send you down to Dallas. So to Dallas we went. And now to Chicago we are. And you say amen to that? Out of Texas, amen. God is good. So now uh, keep this in mind. This is the very beginning of, uh, of what James eventually says about our words, though. Ultimately, we get into this place of words. So don't disconnect this idea about teaching, right, and who should become a teacher and what that responsibility is. Don't disconnect this uh, with the idea of words, uh, because ultimately, what are we talking about? We're talking about how can we reflect uh, the things that God values, Right? Last week, we talked about uh, the fact that God values those who are made in his image, right? And who is made in God's image? We are made in God's image. Therefore, if we are made in God's image, we should value us, right? We should value the other person, uh, even if that person does not know Jesus Christ. We should value that person. So what is it about those who want to teach that James would even send such a warning in the first place? Some who want to teach, uh, they want to do so uh, because they just might be immature. They see it as uh, this, this pie in the sky and they just want to be known, right? They want to get their face out there. And anyone that has known me know that that has not been a desire of mine. I don't even care. That, that never mattered to me. Never mattered to me. But understand that historically that rabbis and other itinerant teachers, uh, that uh, during that age and time that they would be given courtesies, that if you would go from one town to the next, that you would go to a synagogue and they let you stand up and say a couple of words. We saw this with Jesus and even with Paul, who were giving uh, the floor when they desired to speak or teach something. But James still goes in a different direction as he moves along this point. It's not uh, just about maturity per se, but it's about strength. This is where, uh, where James is trying to push us to. It's, it's not just about maturity. It's also about strength. It's about strength, and here it is, to control our tongues. Amen? It's about strength to control our tongues. Did you hear what I said? It's about strength to do what? To You see, a teacher receives greater criticism for failure to provide truth. 
They should not be let off easily for deliberately misleading or failure to adequately prepare when they could have avoided it because of the possibility of leading others astray. Years ago, I remember one time I uh, heard this, uh, this person who uh, purportedly was supposed to give uh, a word from the Lord, right? And, uh, and the way the story goes, they stood up before the congregation. They said, the Lord is going to do this, and the Lord is going to do that. But what they didn't realize is someone was writing down everything that they were saying. And then what happened was the situation turned out to be opposite. The situation turned out to be opposite. So someone who wanted to protect this person who was supposedly going out to say these words of the Lord, uh, they, they had said, well, we have, to, we have to be easy on them. We have to just give them a break. All right? But you see, in my mind, if you say that this comes from God and you're absolutely certain, then, you know, God is not going to tell a lie on himself. Amen? God will be true to everything that he says. You know, once I was uh, taking an advanced math course in, uh, in college, and uh, uh, this, this always sticks in my mind. It was in the summertime. It was really, everything was really, really, it was really intense. But anyway, I was taking this advanced uh, a math course, and uh, the professor was teaching this formula. I don't know what it was now. It's been a long time. And uh, in order to solve, you know how some of these uh, formulas go, in order to solve the formula, it took like 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 pages in order to solve it, literally, of writing math formulas, just one after another, after another, after another. So we spent, uh, I think that class, uh, two days a week, we met like an hour and a half uh, because of the summer shortened session. And, uh, but at the end of the session, she says, okay, so you're going to do, you, you got three problems to complete. So in my mind, I'm thinking three problems, so that's 15, that's 30, that's 45 pages just in math. Right? I'm saying, okay, but if I got to do it, I got to do it. So I did the math. We come back next time, and then the professor says, you know what? I know you did the assignment, but I made a mistake. I taught you the wrong formula. The formula was wrong. Therefore, I need for you guys to go back and do the assignment again with the other formula. But the problem was I had already memorized the first formula. It's like if you can imagine, Right? A piece of wood, and I meant to bring a piece of wood, I totally forgot it. A piece of wood, and you take a screw, right? And you uh, take that screw and you put it into the wood really, really good. And let's say you made a mistake. You say, oops, I made a mistake. And you decide to back that screw out. Well, you'll take the screw out, but at the end of the day, what are you left with? A hole. So in other words, the damage has been done. So what... James is trying to tell us is that if we are going to be teachers, we have to be careful with what we say because we can say some things to people and we can really damage them long term to the fact that it impacts the rest of their life. This is why scripture condemns false teachers. This is why the word of God condemns false prophets so harshly. Because once they put the wrong things in your head, it is hard to back it out. But then again, James also says we also have flaws with what we say. Amen? James chapter 3, verse 3. He says this, For we all stumble in many ways. 
And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man or woman, able also to bridle his or her whole body. So words have implication and words have power. Amen? So even Proverbs tells us about our tongues in uh, Proverbs 18 verse 21 uh, the wise guy says here, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. It says in original language, it says death and life are in, listen to this, are in the arm of the tongue. In other words, the arm of the tongue can take you and it can grab you. This is what he says in the Hebrew. So those who love spewing death with their words will in turn receive death condemnation and judgment. And those who love spreading life with their words will in turn receive life, grace, and mercy. What do you want in your life? I want life, grace, and mercy. I don't want to spew a condemnation and death with my words. But that's what it means to eat the fruit of it, according to Proverbs 18.21. Have you ever broken someone down because of your words? You ever beat them down? How does it feel? How does it feel when you demean someone? And then you try to justify your actions. And you're unmoved by anything that they say. No, we're not talking about correcting someone who's wrong, right? And still, we're not talking about demeaning them either. We're not talking about how we warn the uninformed. We're not talking about seeking righteousness when righteousness has been compromised. We're not talking about that either. We're talking about people who use their tongues uh, that reflect values that are not consistent with God's heart. And the funny thing is this. All of us, you and me included, we possess the ability to hurt others with our words. One second, one thought, and it's gone. A few words misplaced or rashly spoken quickly, it can rupture a relationship for a long time. Words, they can cut you deep. Someone once said, and I quote, strange how mean words can return to your thoughts years after they've been callously thrown at you. They replay in your mind over and over, spiking a sense of remembered pain, nasty name-calling, can be an ugly memory that stabs you unexpectedly, end quote. We heard how, how Jesus spoke with the Pharisees and Herodians. Remember last time? Jesus could have spoken harshly and rightly condemned them, yet he spoke in a way that reflected his purpose, uh, that uh, he was to deliver life even when they were out to get him. Gonna get you, Jesus. I'm gonna get you. But Jesus, he still spoke life to them. 
You know, it's, it's easy to attack someone when they attack you, isn't it? It's easy. If they throw a punch at you for you, go ahead and just lob them because they deserve it. I give it to you. But it's more difficult to deflect and then to teach them at the same time. So James says that, look, you are perfect. If you never falter in your words, you are perfect. How many of you in here are, are perfect with your words other than me? Am I the only one? How many people do you know are perfect in the usage of their words, in their language? Even the nicest person. You know, my grandmother, she was uh, uh, Willie D. Spencer. She was, uh, she was one of the nicest and most humblest persons. She was like, wearing like uh, 100 pounds, and she was 93 years old. She was walking miles every single day, and she would speak to people. She would be so nice. She would. And then one day I heard my grandmother cut someone. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, Grandma? But that just goes to show you, even the person that seems like the most passive, the most innocent, that we all possess that ability really to hurt someone with our words. When was the last time that you hurt someone with your words? How did you like it? How did they like it? Small things control big things. Small things control big things. James chapter 3, verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large, so large, and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Folks, we have a small fire kindling in our mouths. It's like that stove that you have. Don't you know when your stove goes out, uh, typically it's, it's that pilot light or your water heater, you don't, uh, that, that pilot light is out. But then all you need is a catalyst, like a spark, right? And as soon as you turn that, and that gas gets to it, it sparks, what happens to that little small flame, that little flicker, what happens to it? That's the way your tongue is. That's the way it can be. That the little pilot light in your mouth, that one thing, and it could just set forth a forest fire in relationships. A bit controls the mouth of the horse, and a rudder controls the direction of a great ship. You know what that bit is, that little small piece that they put in the mouth of the horse with uh, some reins or rope uh, tied onto it, right? And you direct the horse that way. They go too fast, you pull back. They might rear up because it's very uncomfortable for them. 
but it's a little small piece, that gigantic horse or that rudder uh, in that ship in, 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 as far as comparison to the size of the ship, how small the rudder is, but it controls the direction, right? So your, your, your tongue, your mouth can control your relationship or the things that you say. The one who controls them decides which direction to go in. Likewise, you decide, we decide the direction our words travel. They could be for life or they can be for death as scripture tells us. So the point is that scripture makes uh, us, helps us to realize the power of our tongue that sits prone in our mouth until we call upon it. That tongue causes great fires. Again, James 3, in the uh, verse 5, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Just think about the trouble that our mouths get us into. With our words, we can get a job. Amen? With our words, we can also lose a job. Can you say amen to that? With our words, we can tear a person down. We can break them down. But with our words, we can also what? Build them up. Words have consequences. Words do matter. What situation have you ever found yourself in that when words didn't matter? Now I know it may be true that uh, you may have developed thick skin in your life. It also may be true that you have developed a knack for ignoring those who simply don't know any better. But if all things are equal, uh, when, when should we not hold anyone accountable for the things that they say? There's a wide-ranging vocabulary, but we use certain words to hurt folks. Remember, I'm not sure if it happened to you, it happened to me for sure. Remember the names that used to call you when you were younger? Your family, your friends, the names they call you when you were preteens. Right now, just, just the idea of thinking about that, you remember the names they used to call me, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even figure, I can't even figure out now, you know, what was so hard about that, the names they used to call me at the time. Now it doesn't, I'm like, you know, whatever, what was that? But at the time, it hurt. Maybe because we just didn't develop that adult callus, amen? That adult callus in our soul that uh, keeps us strong. Right now, we're like, oh, whatever. But yet, as you know, sometimes in the back of your mind, someone says something and it elicits fears in your brain and it, it creates this, uh, this, uh, this uh, unstableness, this instability in your brain, and you want to react. Sure, you're grown now, you're a grown woman now, you're a grown man now, but sometimes when you hear those words, you want to react. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? What do we say? We used to say names will never hurt me. Most of us 
have friends who still struggle from the damaging impact of those derogatory names that were lobbed at them years ago. So what does James say again? James 3.5, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Aldous Huxley says this, thanks to words, we have been able to rise above the brutes and says, and thanks to words, we have often sunk to the level of demons. But watch out. Watch out for tongue hypocrisy. In the last message you heard about reflecting the value of God by valuing God's image there in Mark 12. There we heard about the Pharisees and the Herodians laying a trap for Jesus with the hope that he would take the bait. Remember that? Uh, the bait, of course, would be to choose a politically incorrect answer uh, to a loaded question that was also a two-edged sword, right? They were trying to get to Jesus. They were trying to eliminate him, so they thought. Jesus said, remember, he says, give Caesar what is his and give God what is his. Remember that? But the point was that what belongs to God are the things that bear his image and people should value people because we are made in his image. But now, listen to this, James chapter 3, verse 9. James 3, 9. We see something else emerge about the image of God. That was the point of that. So let's start James 3, 7. For every kind of beast and bird reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Verse 9 tells us that with our tongues we bless God on the one hand and then we curse people who are made in his image on the other. Think about that. We curse God on the one hand and then we curse people who are made in his image on the other. It's almost like we turn around and say, Lord, we bless you. And then we turn around and say, Lord, we curse you. Why? Because we are cursing people who are in God's image. James 3 Verse 10, from the same mouth come both, come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt, uh, a salt pond yield fresh water. In other words, what hypocrisy comes out of our mouths? But wait a minute. Hypocrisy does not start in our mouth, does it? What does hypocrisy really begin? Let's try it again. Hypocrisy does not start in our mouths with the tongue. Where does hypocrisy begin? It begins where? In our hearts. Our heart is the true culprit of the things that our mouth produces. So it's really not about what's in your mouth. It's really not about your tongue. 
It's about our heart. What is your heart condition? What's in you? What do your words reveal about you? Now, granted, you may think some bad things, but as long as you don't say them, as long as you don't act on it, you're good because we're human and we're living in these sinful bodies, yes, saved by the grace of God, but we think more bad things than we would ever, ever do. But when what you think emerges into actions and you focus on this thing and you're doing it, now you're out of control. You lack self-control because you can't control uh, your member. You can't control that tongue. You can't control your impulses. Your skin is so thin that even a child can knock you off your game. That is a heart problem. So how then do we value Jesus Christ with the words we use? Because he also valued words. Well, remember that people, number one, are made in the image of God. And what you say about them, you just might be saying about God. Remember that your words reflect what's in your heart. Someone says that words are free, but it's how you use them. That may cost you. Finally, as a member of the body of Christ, you are called to build up. I've said this over and over again already and not tear down. Now, if you have been the victim of the vitriol of someone else, I would like to encourage you to walk away from that bondage and leave it there. Because God will bring you out. Know that Christ has set you free and you no longer need to exist with your head hanging low. So God, he values our words. How can you encourage someone today with your words? How can you build someone up today with your words? I promise you by doing so that you will value the same thing that God values, and that is with your words. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you again for this day. You have blessed us. You have strengthened us. You have kept us. You have moved us. We have worshiped you, Lord. And Father, we do want to value the things that you do value. We admit to you that sometimes we don't have the strength. Sometimes, Father, we do have a knee-jerk reaction. And we should not say some of the things that we've said. But when we do, and when we have, we do ask you to forgive us. Father, we ask you that you would give us the strength to be wise enough to be under the control of the Holy Spirit to not to say those things that will cut deeply in someone's life, <laughs> but to say those things, Lord God, that they would come out glorifying you. And we admit to you that this is a very difficult challenge in front of us to accomplish. But yet one thing that we know, and that is we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. 
So Father, help us to control our tongues with our children, with our spouses, our employers, our employees, our co-workers, our fellow students. Help us to control our tongues. Lead us with your spirit today. Is there anyone here today that does not have a relationship